Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the home bunker. Folks, as we make the trek to the end of the year, I am doing wrap-up shows with some of Woke AF's greatest guests and contributors that have been with us all year long. And today we talk with our good, good friend, Glenn Kirshner, to go through all of the legal news that we've been hit with. And I ask him the question, what is your prediction for 2023? Are we going to see Donald Trump indicted? Is it going to be Fonnie Willis in Georgia? Is it going to be Jack Smith the new special counsel for the Department of Justice? Is it going to be Alvin Bragg in New York? What is going to happen? Because over the course, folks, of the year, I mean, the wildest shit from Mar-a-Lago being raided because Donald Trump stole documents and then he goes on his second rate, you know, two-bit truth social to say, oh yeah, I took the documents which is pretty much Jack Nicholson and a few good men saying, I ordered the code red, and yet no one is hauling this man to prison. We know that Donald Trump said to Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, find me 11,700 and some odd votes, right? Waiting on that indictment. We know that the Trump organization is completely corrupt. Why? Because at the end of this year, they faced 17 charges and we're found guilty on all 17 charges. So what does 2023 look like for Donald Trump and company? For the 34 Republicans that text Mark Meadows and said, we're calling for martial law, except they don't know how to fucking spell it. Somebody has got to go down and it cannot just be the foot soldiers of the insurrection. January will mark Two years 
since there was an attempt to overthrow our government. And the only people that are seeing any type of prison time are those that broke into the building. What about those that directed them there in the first place? So coming up next, my wrap up legal conversation with our friend, host of Justice Matters, MSNBC contributor, Glenn Kirshner. Folks, 2022 has been a year, um, and it has been a year in crime, and there is no one better to give us our year-end review in all of the legal crime news uh, that we have covered than our friend, the host of Justice Matters, MSNBC contributor, Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, we have spent so much time together, and I got to tell you that on my 2022 bingo card, there was a lot of things that I did not see coming. So I, I want to start with literally all of the crimes, all of the cases that have come up that involve Trump and the Trump family. Let's start with Alan Weisselberg, right? The COO of the Trump Organization, I want to say at some beginning part of 2022, uh, is picked up, is indicted for fraud. Talk to us about why this kind of maybe was the beginning of the unraveling of the Trump Organization. Yeah, it, it matters. And there are two sides of the Weisselberg and the Trump uh, organization coin that we can talk about. I will say it seems like we packed a decade's worth of crime into just one year right. when it comes to Trump and company. So, you know, the, the Weisselberg and Trump org prosecution was interesting for what it was and what it wasn't. I mean, what it was is a prosecution that probably spells the end of the Trump organization because the organization was con convicted across the board of major financial felony crimes such that no reputable lender is going to want to do business with Trump org. I would say even the less than reputable lenders, some of the overseas banks and institutions that wanted to do business with Trump because they felt like they were buying access and influence. I even think they're going to run away from the Trump organization. Um, the other thing that I think is good about that prosecution is it feels like it might have been something of a dry run mm -hmm. for Alvin Bragg, the district attorney from Manhattan, to consider charging Donald Trump. Now, I'll believe it when I see it, mind you, but there's been reporting that in the wake of those convictions, Alvin Bragg has hired yet another prosecutor from the Department of Justice. And before that, he worked with Tish James going after the Trump org. Uh, Colangelo, I think is his last mm -hmm. name. Yep. And he is now involved in criminally investigating Trump. Because they successfully moved against the Trump org, it feels like there is an increased likelihood that Bragg may now be more comfortable going after Donald Trump personally. So that's the upside. The downside is that this old prosecutor believes Donald Trump should have been part of that prosecution that resulted in the conviction of his organization because the prosecutor argued in closing to that jury in the Trump board case, and I quote, Donald Trump personally uh, approved uh, financial fraud, personally. Well, why wasn't he a defendant? That to me, feels like a failing of Alvin Bragg. So like I say, that that's a sort of a mixed message that comes out of that prosecution. 
Okay. And so then we move, let, let's go down south uh, for Fonnie Willis. Now, Fonnie Willis has been investigating the fake electors, right? And, you know, we have seen several court cases surrounding her investigation because she's compelling, like Lindsey Graham, to testify before a grand jury, a special grand jury that she um, pulled together. Tell us a bit about where you think the kind of twists and turns that that investigation has taken and where you think we could possibly end up. I mean, it's the end of the year. Again, we've seen no indictments of Donald Trump. We've seen a lot of investigations uh, happening Hers seeming at the beginning of the year to be the most promising in term of the fake electors. So tell us how you saw that case move over the course of 2022. You know, Fonnie Willis, district attorney for Fulton County, Georgia, has been quietly sawing the justice wood in front of her. And really, the only time we hear anything about what's going on is when there are court pleadings. And then we can see a little bit about the battle she has been waging to get guys like Lindsey Graham before the grand jury who was scared to death to testify about Donald Trump's election crimes and frankly, his own misconduct. Because let's never forget that a fellow Republican of Lindsey Graham's, the former uh, Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger said, Lindsey Graham called me and what he was saying to me, I interpreted as him urging me to toss out lawfully cast ballots. That's a quote and it's a crime under Georgia state law. Well, guess what? Fonnie Willis succeeded in getting Lindsey Graham into the grand jury, succeeded in getting Rudy Giuliani into the grand jury, succeeded in getting Mike Flynn into the grand jury. Now, yeah, many of these, you know, nefarious, unpatriotic knuckleheads probably pleaded the fifth, and so be it. Um, all that means is their truthful testimony would show that they committed crimes under Georgia state law. So she's been sawing the wood. I don't know where she is in her investigation, but it's been up and running and it has been productive because she's been winning every flipping battle that she's fought against these people who were scared to death to go before the grand jury. So what the timetable is for possible indictments there, as you say, she is investigating the fake electors crimes and she's investigating the very real election crimes of Donald Trump. I can only hope that we see indictments Maybe in the late winter, early spring, that's nothing more than a guess. Heading further down south to Mar-a-Lago. So when the headlines happened and the news broke that Mar-a-Lago was uh, swarmed uh, by agents in order to collect the stolen documents that Donald Trump took from the White House and just you know, put haphazardly in his office at Mar-a-Lago, where we know that anyone and everyone can walk into at any time. And guess what? He doesn't know a lot of the people, apparently, that are coming in to have dinner with him. So we see these documents. We now know that the federal government is asking for one person, a lawyer, from Donald Trump's team to say, completely, we've given you all the documents. There's not one lawyer that will do that. So where do we see this moving? Because one, we don't even know if Donald Trump hasn't stashed nuclear codes, documents all around his properties, right? It's only Mar-a-Lago that was quote unquote raided. 
So where does this case go? Or are we just, again, allowing him, other people would have gone to jail. Other people have gone to jail for taking less. Where does this go? Um, you know, I don't know where it goes, but I know where it's been. And where it's been is a, a sort of deeply unjust place. Because as you say, anybody who took even one classified document unlawfully would have promptly been arrested, indicted, convicted, and imprisoned. Donald Trump um, had classified documents in his desk drawers. Then he posted on his third-rate social media platform, I took the documents more openly and transparently than other presidents. So it's not like we prosecutors would have a hard time proving that he took the documents. So why he hasn't been charged is um, there's no good answer to that other than a fear and timidity at prosecuting a former president of the United States, which make no mistake about it, takes us one step in the direction of becoming a banana republic. Um, where is it heading? You know, I, I hope Jack Smith is what he appears to be, which, which is kind of a scorched earth um, crime fighter. And the reason I say that is because he has prosecuted, he and his team, when he was the head of the public integrity section at the Department of Justice, Republican senators, Democrat uh, who, Democrat senators who were running for the presidency, John Edwards, Republican governors, uh, Bob, um, Virginia Republican, McDonald, Bob mm -hmm. McDonald, Virginia Republican governor, uh, Arizona congressman who was a Republican. He's taken all, he's taken a CIA officer to trial for, uh, mishandling classified documents. He goes after everybody left, right, and center without fear or favor. And he doesn't win all the cases, which I love. Give me a prosecutor who is willing to take a difficult, politically charged case to trial at the risk of losing it. That's who I want on my team. Let's hope he gets us to the right place. And I'm resisting, Danielle, going to the dark place where you, mm -hmm. and you, you mentioned that the prosecution team said, Judge Beryl Howell, who's a fabulous judge, the chief judge of federal district court in Washington, D.C. Judge Howell, please, please make them appoint somebody to certify that all of the stolen documents have been returned. And Judge Howell did the right thing. She said, no, go do your job because their job is to arrest the perpetrator, not to try to get the court to do some of their dirty work. And let me just take 30 seconds on this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When somebody steals stuff, whether it's a TV or a car or documents from the government, we don't issue subpoenas and say, to the perpetrator, can you please give us the car back? Can you please give us the <laughs> money you that you robbed that from the bank right. back? And oh, if you don't give us the money from the bank that you robbed back pursuant to the subpoena, we're going to run to the court and we're going to ask the judge to say, judge, can you appoint somebody to be the records custodian over the stolen money and certify that the bank robber gave us all the stolen money back? That's not the way law enforcement works. That's why this is not the way Donald Trump should be treated. We should do search warrants. We should arrest the perpetrator. And then the way we get the rest of the documents is we do supplemental search warrants as right. we investigate and learn more about where Donald Trump is hiding this stuff. But they're not doing it that way. And I hope Jack Smith 
changes course and fights crime the way it's supposed to be fought, not this Pollyanna ass-grabbing game that they're playing with Donald Trump on his playing field. Please, please give it back. That's not the way law enforcement works. That's the part that's got me so hacked off as a former career prosecutor. You know, when we look at all of this, and and, and I just, I, I love the example that you provided of the car. Please give it back. Oh, you stole this. Oh, please return it, right? We would not treat any other criminal, right, this way. It seems so easy, Glenn, to pick up people on the street, uh, to throw the book at them for a series of things. And we know, we know all of the things that Donald Trump has done. Why? Because exactly what you said, he says it out loud. He says the quiet parts out loud and puts it on his third rate social media platform. Let's head back Daniel, up. To, let me follow yeah, up on the, on, the, on the car analogy. Yes. Because, you know, when somebody steals a car, it doesn't have national security implications. And yet we use search warrants to get the damn car back. Donald Trump stole our nation's secrets. He also stole information about the nuclear programs of foreign countries. But we're not using the law enforcement tools at our disposal to get them back. I mean, it reminds me of the Bob Dylan line. You know, steal a little and they throw you in jail. Steal a lot and they make you king. Mm -mm. Oh, God. Heading back up to D.C., you know, next year is going to be the two-year anniversary of the insurrection, Glenn. Two years have passed since our capital was invaded by a group of thugs chanting, hang Mike Pence, looking for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, defecating in the halls of democracy. And what we have seen over the course of two years is, you know... 800 or so arrests of the low-level foot soldiers that entered the building. Still no arrests of the architects, of the people that stood on the dais at the quote-unquote Stop the Steel rally, pointed to the Capitol building and said, go take your country back. Members of Congress that wore bulletproof vests that day. Now we find out 30 Four Republicans were texting Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff to Donald Trump. 34. Over 2,400 text messages have now been released. Many of them calling for martial law that they don't know how to spell. Tell me, Glenn, how the hell are those 34 members of Congress still have jobs. How have they not been picked up by the Department of Justice? What is going on, in your opinion, as we have covered this, as we have discussed it for a year? A couple of things are going on. Um, One, I believe DOJ is trying to build the perfect beast, the perfect prosecution. There is no such thing. But there is this culture of timidity at DOJ to bring difficult, challenging, politically charged, unconventional cases, particularly against politicians and especially against wealthy, influential, connected white 
male politicians. And there's no excuse for that. I railed against it in my decades inside the Department of Justice when I fought to bring unconventional cases, even cases I knew I might lose. And I lost plenty of cases in my 30 years, but it was the right thing to do to try to hold people accountable. I always tried to teach the prosecutors I supervised, it's more important to try cases than to win cases because you're giving victims a shot at justice and you're protecting the community in the process. So I think it is part of the culture of the Department of Justice. They don't do difficult, unconventional, unprecedented cases particularly well, and they certainly don't do them in a timely manner. I hope that is what accounts for most of the delay. I hope it's not corruption. You know, Mm. I did a video, I think it was yesterday, where I, I was so fed up with how the Department of Justice has treated Mark Meadows that I said, I I think we need to take on two questions. One, when the Department of Justice tells us no one is above the law, can we credit that? Two, (coughs) excuse me, when the Department of Justice tells us they will follow the law and follow the facts wherever they lead. I need an answer to this question. And I was a prosecutor for 30 years, but I need an answer to this question. What are the American people to do? when the facts show beyond all doubt that somebody committed a crime and when the law as applied to those facts demands an indictment, but nobody has been criminally charged, what are the American people to do? There's no good answer to that question. There are some bad answers that I don't even wanna spit out into the public square because they're dangerous and upsetting. Mm. And I hope we don't get there. But when you look at a Mark Meadows as an example of somebody being above the law, you have not only the 34 treasonous text messages coming to Mark Meadows, right? He was like clearing house central for treasonous texts (coughs) coming to Mark Meadows from 34 Republican members of Congress trying to unlawfully overturn the results of a presidential election. (coughs) Sorry. And no accountability for that. One year ago, almost to the day, you had a criminal referral by the Department of Justice of Mark Meadows to be prosecuted for contempt of Congress, a crime he absolutely committed. There's no question about that. Just as Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro committed it, those two were referred for prosecution and were indicted. Bannon's been convicted. Mark Meadows was never even charged. That was a year ago. Now we have Just yesterday, there was reporting out of North Carolina that the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation has finished its investigation of Mark Meadows for voter fraud. Remember when he lied about living in a trailer in Scaly Mount? That's right. And he didn't live there. And that's voter fraud. And he not only used that address as his home of residence to vote, but also to run for Congress. That's that's election fraud writ large, right? So let's see if he's prosecuted now. It's in the hands of Attorney General for North Carolina, Josh Stein. Let's hope he's prosecuted for those crimes. But as of right now, Mark Meadows has been above the law and nobody has followed the facts and followed the law to their logical conclusion, which is an indictment of Mark Meadows. I hope that changes, Danielle, because if it doesn't, I wanna know what the American people are to do. I just don't get it. You know, I I guess that's that's really the issue is that 
I don't understand how it is that we've gotten to this place where you can literally rattle off all of the things that Mark Meadows has done, all of the things that Donald Trump has done, and nothing, nothing has happened. So staying in D.C., let's go to the case of the Oath Keepers where something, where justice actually finally was served. And see, like, Glenn, are we going to use this as the trampoline, this this conviction on seditious conspiracy as the way to get us to the architects that got those people to the Capitol building in the first place? Does that charge turn a Stuart Rhodes, you know, into, into a parrot that will talk? Let's hope so, because, you know, make no mistake about it. It was historic that the prosecutors from the U.S. Attorney's Office from the District of Columbia, I sat in that trial for seven weeks. That was a long trial to cover. But frankly, it was a pleasure because it was my friends and former colleagues who were prosecuting the case. Um, and they convicted the Oath Keepers of attempting to violently overthrow the government or attempting to violently stop the execution of the laws of the United States. That's a big deal. Now that the Oath Keepers are convicted of a seditious conspiracy, and there's a second Oath Keepers trial that's up and running in district court right now in D.C., and then the Proud Boys trial is about to kick off also for seditious conspiracy. So where do these convictions lead us? Mm -hmm. They absolutely lead us into the Willard War Room because it's the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers who were plugged in pretty directly to guys like Roger Stone, Mike Flynn, um, uh, Alex Jones, so I do think these convictions will be building blocks that will take us closer to the hierarchy, the command structure of the insurrection, the people in the Willard War Room. And we know Mark Meadows was plugged into the Willard War Room, and we've heard reporting that Donald Trump was calling over to the Willard War Room. So yes, these are important building blocks. Hopefully we don't have to wait another year or two or three to actually see some concrete results by way of charges of the command structure of the insurrection. I don't think we will, but you know what? I've been fooled so many times. I've got hero fatigue. I've got justice <laughs> fatigue. I thought Bob Mueller would do it, but yep. Bill, Barr, Bill Barr didn't let him. And the Office of Legal Counsel memo saying you can't indict a sitting criminal president didn't let him, which that memo takes us one giant step in the direction of a banana republic that a president can commit all the crimes he wants with impunity while in office. That's that's insanity. That's banana republic stuff, right? Um, so I've been fooled before. I thought Merrick Garland was going to come in and go gangbusters, even though he was a, he's a very quiet, circumspect, thoughtful, judicial kind of guy. And I think he proved to be way too much judge and not enough prosecutor. Now, Jack Smith seems to be enough prosecutor. One of my, I, I've had people that worked with me and for me at the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office go over and work for Jack Smith directly when he was head of public mm -hmm. integrity, public corruption at the Department of Justice. They say this this guy really does prosecute without fear or favor. He goes after everybody, win, lose, or draw, left, right, or center. I like that, mm -hmm. but now we need to see some damn concrete results. So, Glenn, let's, uh, let's look into the crystal ball. What do you think is coming down in 2023? And I mean, we've been doing this for two years, waiting on these indictments, 
waiting on the hammer to drop, waiting on the breaking news ticker that says Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, everybody's being indicted on conspiracy to overthrow the government, on stealing, you know, secrets from the government, on any goddamn thing. What do you predict for 2023? Well, you know, you, you've, 2022 fooled me. I thought it was going to be the year of accountability. Um, all I can do now is roll that over to 2023 and hope that will be the year of accountability. Because, you know, what the hell would be so bad about equal justice for all? What would be so bad about that as a goal for our nation? I, I, I don't get it. You know, Joe Biden, I wish I had his words in front of me at his inauguration when he said, you know, uh, the cry for justice some, you know, 400 years in the making, the promise of equal justice for all will be deferred no longer. H how about that? Right? Because mm. if there is no equal justice, there's just no justice. And we have been suffering from an absence of justice. And, you know... I Again, I'll keep looking into my obviously defective crystal ball. <laughs> All I, of that was. <laughs> I need to. I need to bring it in for a tune-up. But <laughs> it, it seems to me that the documents' crimes are so readily provable, so easily proved in court. When Donald Trump posts in writing, "I took these documents openly and transparently," and we got them out of his damn desk drawers at Mar-a-Lago. That's what I would call an open and shut case. And these are crimes that have pretty significant national security implications. These are crimes that need to be brought now, right now. So I'm hoping that's the first indictment to drop by Jack Smith and his team. And then, you know, he continues to do the fake electors and he goes after members of Congress. Here's a little bit of silver lining behind the big dark cloud, Danielle, mm -hmm. the 34 members of Congress who, or, and there are reportedly more who were part and parcel of the insurrection, they're going to be sworn in in January. Here's a problem. The 14th Amendment, Section 3, says insurrectionists are disqualified from serving, period. O open and shut. Not equivocal. They are disqualified. Now, the disqualification can be removed by a two-thirds vote in Congress, but they're disqualified. I predict, uh, my own worst enemy, I, <laughs> I predict you're going to have other members of Congress object to their being sworn in because the Constitution says they are disqualified. How that battle plays out, I'm not quite sure, but the Republicans love them some strict construction of the Constitution. We're going to use Don't they? the 14th flippin' Amendment to say, okay, then you're disqualified. Let's see where that goes in January. Oh, Glenn, you know, it has been a hell of a year. Um, the crimes have been audacious. They have been vulgar. They have just been in our faces. And, you know, as we make the march into 2023, I can't help but think, that the De Department of Justice's claim that nobody is above the law is nothing more of a bumper sticker until we see indictments rain down. Because I cannot think that Stuart Rhodes and the gang and the Proud Boys are the only ones that are going to face justice. 
But those that sent them there, that riled them up, that told them to stand back and stand by, that pointed to the Capitol building and told them to overtake it and to take their country back are the ones that get to go on, run for president, run for Congress, and get off scot-free. So I am, you know, you know me, I am ye of little hope, but I can't, I can't imagine that we go another year that at the end of 2023, you say, well, let's roll that over to 2024. Let's roll it over to 2020. I can't. So, you know, from your lips to God's ears that 2023 is the actual year of justice. Glenn, thank you so much for taking all the time all year to move us through some of the most, you know, incredible legal drama that I, I don't even think that Dick Wolf from Law and Order could have created himself. So we appreciate you. Let, let's celebrate next year. Let's celebrate the justice that has come. Absolutely. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.